John here from the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm here to talk to y'all for a second about the Anchor app. Are you looking for a podcast application that performs? What about one that's free? What about one that distributes all of your podcasts to all of the major listening platforms? Well, look no further. The Anchor app can be found at anchor.fm. The Anchor app is a podcast platform that is user-friendly, and like previously stated, it's free to use. The app has been so important to us for editing out our glitches uh, due to connection errors. It's a, it can also be used on your phone. It's a fantastic application. We use it for all of our podcasts. Go ahead and head on over to anchor.fm and download the app today and get started on your podcast journey. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Working Class Fishing. I am John Morris. We have Brian Keachley and our special guest today is Ryan King. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on, man. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We just had about three inches of rain and uh, it's been it's been a rainy, incredibly rainy, wet you know, summer here in Texas. So, uh, but it's been cool so on the, that's on the bright side it's not it's unusually cool here so but yeah i'm doing great thanks for asking hey no problem man and dude i just i'm kind of like overwhelmed right now uh it's almost starstruck right i uh you are the texas state record holder alligator gar angler on the fly that is, that's a title, sir. That is amazing. How, how, how did you end up? Well, first off, we'll get to that here in a second, but dude, tell us about yourself, Ryan. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, get, me being in Texas came about a fairly secured, circuitous route. You know, so I, I, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Don't remember being there. Grew up in as I was telling Brian, you guys a minute ago, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, uh, and was really pretty much like a, a, a trout fisherman, you know, really at a young age, got into fly fishing, just fishing in general. I was just parent, my dad took me at a young age and, you know, uh, there's pictures of me holding trout, you know, that we caught just on a little like Zebco reel and a bobber and worms and and every time we drove by a water body, I was just, I'd stare out the window and was just begging to stop and wanted to fish. And, and my dad fish was a fly fisherman and uh, he would tie flies and he would go to the Deschutes River uh, sometimes with his friends. And of course I was too little and, and uh, I would like to go in and kind of watch him tie flies. And, you know, he'd be, some, you know, out of practice and he'd be kind of cursing every once in a while <laughs> breaking his, <laughs> his thread or whatever and so I knew that was a time to leave uh but a lot of times I would get in after he would leave you know and kind of mess around a little bit with his fly tying stuff and um and and uh eventually got you know to where I I started doing a little fly fishing and and you know and 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 just ha he had a bunch of books and I and that's really how I learned how to tie flies at a pretty young age. I, I just, 
they were really poor at first. I looked at this, you know, today now with like YouTube and Instagram and the, 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 the free level of instruction that's out there right now for fly tying is just unbelievable compared to what it was like when I was a kid, you know, I mean, it was like, I mean, there were a handful of really very poorly made like uh, VHS tapes, you know, like Jack Dennis or uh, some of these old, old timer, you know, uh, the, the scientific anglers mastery series you know if you all remember that and, and by the way that 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 is now like on youtube for free like they've put all those old videos on there so if you want to go take a trip down memory lane and if you that may be actually before you guys this time i'm i'm pretty old but uh all that stuff's on there now but uh but yeah i i i I tied flies and ended up actually starting tying tide flies commercially when I was started at 15 years old and uh, and tied flies until I just about finished grad school. So uh, there was a place in Portland called Kaufman Streamborn. Yeah. Um, Randall Kaufman has several books out, and he's was primarily famous initially for. Uh, his his books American Nymph Fly Tying Manual and then Tying Nymphs and then he had Tying Dry Flies and Bone Fishing and other things and so so I learned I learned from it you know really got good learning from him and his books and I would bring flies in and he critique them and um, he was somebody I looked up to as a mentor and and then it got to be where in the summer you know I just would do, do big orders of flies some, a lot of times it was just filling like what they needed and then it got to be where it was like steelhead flies primarily and i would have hundreds of dozens um sometimes i think one year i tied didn't quite make a thousand dozen but um you know so i'd have a little kitchen timer and uh i would set it there and as you, as, as you know, at least John, I assume both you tie flies, but I know John, you do some commercial tying, right? Or do you both do, do, do commercial tying? No, I don't. I, I don't do any tying at all. I, I'm, I uh, do uh, lure making more so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's all a game of like, you know, basically just as few as minimum number of touches and how fast you can go and just getting, getting it down. And so it was a race against that kitchen timer and I, cause I knew, you know, and, uh, eventually got to where, you know, I was able to average about two dozen an hour and steelhead flies. And, and at that time I was making pretty decent money. So, um, so yeah, um, ended up, uh, leaving Oregon to go to college in Arkansas, um, of all places. But one of the reasons why I went there was, uh, several of my friends went to the school there. I didn't really have a clear direction and what I wanted to do in life. And there was little red river was about 20 minutes from campus. And uh, I'd heard that there was some pretty decent trout fishing there. And it just so happened that it was, I got there right about the time that the brown trout really started to come on. They, they had actually put some brown trout egg boxes in there and these fish were, were actually naturally reproducing, which um, there's not a lot of natural reproduction for rainbows and other things. And so, so my very first year at Harding, I caught a 17 pound brown trout 
on that's a big fish (laughs) (laughs) and then and then i'm and i had a a replica mount made of it and then the next year i ended up catching a 23 pound brown trout on at night fishing a big black leech and so i was just crazy all i did was basically i'd go to class and i'd fish you know like i girls i like i didn't care i was like i was just (laughs) it's all about about fishing and uh and um so um ended up going to grad school at duke university in north carolina and did a master's in a a water resource management program and and then I, i really realized that that research was really more of my passion and so i worked for a year at the university doing in a lab and then going back for my PhD and did my PhD work in the Everglades um, and would always manage to do a little fishing while I was down there and um, ended up um, finishing there at Duke. Went on to the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center in Maryland, um, lived in Annapolis for two and a half years. Um, and I was happy to get out of that area because it was extremely expensive, very, uh, crowded and extremely like the commute, the driving in the DC area is just, um, yeah, I'm sure I lost years off my life. Um, <laughs> Sitting in traffic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and just, yeah, it's just like the number of times that you get honked at for like nothing there is just un- unbelievable. So, so there was this opportunity at Baylor, they were recruiting in an aquatic ecologist who, who did more or less what I did. And they were really interested in building their research program and their grad program. And, you know, the attractiveness of affordable housing, you know, a mid-sized kind of college town, you know, um, you know, it, it, and it, it, it yeah, it seemed like a, a good choice and it ended up being a, a great, a great move for me. But uh, in terms of fishing, what that meant was I had this sort of change, you know, my, um, my targets and, um, you know, there's, there's one pretty well-known trout stream in Texas. That's the Guadalupe river below Canyon. And, you know, having, I was pretty spoiled by native fisheries in the Northwest and other places I fished. Uh, I, I, I did skip that I guided some on the San Juan River in New Mexico when I was in college. And so I'd been out there. So I, I fished like all those great tailwaters. And so I wasn't too enamored with trying to be a trout guy coming to Texas, not to say there's anything wrong with that. It's great, but uh, I was pretty intrigued by some of the native species that particularly ones that people didn't target all that much. And, and gar happened to be um, one of those species. And um, I've gotten to be where I've just, yeah, I mean, I, 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 obviously I'll fish for, for, for most, for most species. I, I enjoy catching lots of different fish on, on flies, including going down to the coast for redfish and things like that. But but gar are just really intriguing to me for a lot of reasons. I think they're a really underappreciated sport fish. And 
Um, and, and then of course the alligator gar um, being arguably the, it's white sturgeon technically is the largest species of fish in North America, but they're kind of semi-cartilaginous of, of the true like completely bony fishes, the alligator gar is the largest in North America. I mean, and to have these fish just right here um, and the fact that when, you know, when we first moved here, I mean, they're still mostly regarded as a nuisance, you know, to people who would like jug line for catfish or, and then there's mostly guys who just bow fish for them. And then there kind of came this tipping point where um, there were a handful of guys who were doing, you know, guiding for uh, alligator gar with, with, you know, bait, basically with, for, with bait. And then I think, it really took off when like Jeremy Wade did that river monster show. Mm -hmm. That was sort of like the, the major tipping point where now it's this international attention and people are coming from all over the world to try to catch alligator gar in, in Texas. Oh, um, but so those guys are actually getting a lot of attention and, and maybe even in, in some protection, even in, yeah, the regs have changed since I've been here. And we're hoping that maybe some of the work that we're doing, we're actually doing some GAR research will uh, help that um, maybe move into an even more conservation minded direction. But the other species tend not to get um, the same level of love as, as and, and long nose GAR as the other species I really like to target because they, while they don't get as big as alligator GAR, they are probably they're they're just they're more widely distributed and they're more accessible to a lot of people um and they're you know they yeah they still get big and and they readily take flies and they're you know uh, from and i really like to, to sight fish i mean that's kind of my favorite thing to do and and um you know either walking along a, a river bank, just waiting to see one kind of cruising along or, or in a boat, just waiting and looking for cruising fish. Uh, and then just a lot of times, you know, because of their behavior, it gives you just kind of like a real, much like a lot of prized saltwater fish where you essentially have a few seconds to make the cast before they spook or they disappear and a lot of times they'll come up and they're getting ready to gulp and they gulp and they go back down and you don't see them. And so you're not on it. And so it's, it's a, it's still a, a real challenge to, to like hit them. You got to hit them right in the nose. And, um, and, and then when you do, and they take, I mean, some of them are, are, I mean, they pull and they're, they're fun though. Some of them will jump. Uh, I, I've got a few Instagram, like slow-mo videos of, fish doing them, you know, they're, um, so at any rate, I've kind of been rambling here. Um, oh, no, you're good, dude. No, you're good. Yeah, you <laughs> This know, is that, awesome. <laughs> no, but what, what's fascinating to me is, is that, you know, you had the foresight, uh, and, and yeah, your, your educational, uh, background and, and your work in, in research and everything would, would warrant that, uh, that you would have that, that, you know, forward thinking kind of idea to go out and, maybe target something that wasn't necessarily targeted, but you knew it was a big fish and you knew that it'd be a lot of fun. Kind of stepping back into some of your earlier fishing, you know, obviously I'm, 
I'm stepping back here because, uh, you know, you growing up here in the Pacific Northwest and fishing and angling, and then obviously commercially tying and, and, you know, mentioning some of our, our great rivers and streams and stuff. When, when you were younger, uh, and, and the reason I asked this question is, is because we do have some younger folks that listen to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you when you first got a fly rod in your hand? And, and then when you did get the fly rod in your hand, what species, obviously you fish trout, but you were tying steelhead flies. At what point in that, in that transition, did you transition from, you know, our, our good old red sides onto the shoots to, you know, our summer steelhead onto the shoots or, you know, maybe targeting the winter steelhead. Uh, but what age did you start fly fishing and when did you start transitioning into some of the larger fish species? I, I think I was about 10 when my, I got my first fly rod. And I remember, I think one of the first fish I caught on a decent fish that I caught on a fly was we were on the Metolius River. Okay. <laughs> at, at near Camp Sherman. Yeah. And 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 in the Metolius, they do they have they have some that are stocked fish. And and so I think you know, dad had helped set me up with, I think I had like an Adams on or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I was somewhere maybe a hundred yards upstream from from him, you know, kind of run a, like kids do, you know, you sort of take off and just um and I still vividly remember, you know, like casting and I don't even really remember seeing the fish take it or anything. I, it, it may have just been like a swinging it, who knows what was going on, but, yeah. but I got this, you know, like probably 12, 13 inch stalker rainbow yeah. uh, that I caught and landed. And there was this, this older gentleman who was just downstream of me and you know, like, had this look on his face, like, what the heck? This kid just came over here and caught a fish. And he came over and he's like, all right, let's look at this. And, 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 you know, that they clipped the adipose fin. That's how you could tell it was a stalker or not, you know, cause he was going to help me like release it. Cause you know, I just, I was just ecstatic at this trout and, uh, and he's like, Oh, it's a hatchery fish. You can keep it. And so I was like, and I ran down and I showed, I was like, dad, 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 look, look, look. And, uh, and he was kind of like, um, pretty stunned, Frank, you know, I mean, it was just <laughs> luck, but as a kid, it seemed like, you know, he, he would say like, I, I just seemed like I, I had, I was just lucky. Like I tended to catch fish <laughs> and, sometimes, and sometimes it would almost annoy, annoy yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, you know, he took me fishing whenever he could. And, you know, he, he, you know, he, he was a pretty busy guy, but, but yeah, going to the Deschutes really became our thing and, you know, walking up the, the, the railroad tracks up from Moppin, that was yep. a spot we would fish a lot. And, uh, you know, you know, elk hair caddises in the evening or, certainly during the salmon fly hatch. Oh, anything then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, throw a flip flop wait, you know I'd wade out and, you know, I'm trying to throw up underneath, underneath the willows and, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of, lots of, uh, flies lost in brush, you yeah, know, that, that, you go for your back cast and it's like that. Oh yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so much yeah. of that. Yeah. I, yeah, I learned a lot that. of that. 
I learned how to swear on the Deschutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but, but, to, but tell you the truth, I, you know, I did a little bit of steelhead fishing, in, but I look back on it. I, I didn't actually do that much steelhead fishing. You know, oh, okay. I, I, I still was really focused on trout. I had a, a couple other friends who were, you know, we were, it had an older friend who, who also helped teach me how to tie flies and he was an excellent tire and he, and he was really into fishing technical situations like, you know, really small dries. And, and so we, you know, we did, so I, I was always trying to tie, you know, match the hatch sorts of things. I was really keyed into that. Sometimes we'd go up to, um some of the lakes in eastern washington um like nunnally and lanice i think they were called and that did some there's some big you know cutthroats up there yeah um crane prairie we'd go fish for some big rainbows with transition to big fish happened when with the Arkansas just happened to catch huge browns with yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know and then from there you know once I went to grad school you know my amount of time my fish my fishing just really I didn't fish very much and uh did did a little bit in North Carolina like of uh near inshore just offshore fishing for uh like false albacore uh it's a that there was a it kind of i was happened to be there when that was sort of peaking there it was called cape lookout and um these albacore would come basically following bait down the eastern coast in the fall and i mean just busting bait and one of the hardest fighting fish for its size that i you know ever caught um and um yeah, you know, Maryland, a little bit of striper action, some hickory shad, and then, and then came to Texas and, um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I sort of just kind of was opportunistic about, you know, what was available and, and I, I never, I didn't really have a boat, you know, and, um, I had float tube, you know, I did some crazy things in a float tube. Sometimes I, <laughs> like floating the little red river at night oh. um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and uh yeah had a close call with a beaver um and, uh, <laughs> we'll, oh, okay. that. That, 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 didn't, that didn't sound right um all right <laughs> you know beavers are one of those animals uh, same with nutria beavers and nutria and uh, who knows what other swamp rodents are out there but <laughs> they got teeth you know and they got a tail and you're in an inflatable tube and people are like oh well it's a tube it's like yeah this thing's got teeth it's gonna bite through my tube i'm floating down the river now i did you know but it's funny that you, you bring that up with the float tube and the beaver and all that because i just think <laughs> of people that that fish in areas where you have a lot of those types of uh, aquatic yeah you know, i don't know if a beaver's considered a rodent i know a nutrient yeah yeah they, they definitely are rodents absolutely. Uh, oh, okay okay so you uh -huh. have a uh, we'll, we'll call them aquatic rodents running yeah around. and you're like hey i'm just chilling out fishing and here comes a 
this thing with these big buck teeth at you, you know, you're yeah. like, whoa, yeah. hey, yeah. <laughs> so I opted for the kayak over the float tube, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, they got to get through the roto molding to get to me. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I look, I look back on it and yeah, I, I wish I, had, you know, uh, like these sit on top fishing kayaks were more of a thing back then. They, they, they really weren't. Fly fishing was pretty much like a float tube or, and that was that was that was kind of about it so uh yeah yeah so that's just super uh, cool though uh, you're like i said for john he's just kind of like hey you know this guy's fish is gar this is my thing i know and then you're dropping names of all these you know legendary streams and rivers around me here you know it's kind of it, it just kind of it, it gets me wound up because i think about like when you're when you're sitting there saying yeah we were up in camp sherman fishing i'm, I'm like yeah. Okay. So I know here, 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 here. And I, I'm, I'm envisioning like, here's a 10 year old kid whipping Adams out into the, you know, just kind of a tail out or something like that, loading up like a 13 inch stalker out of the hatchery. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> so cool. So no, I, uh, the, thanks for fill, kind of giving that backfill on that though. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, it's still vivid memory, you know? Yeah. It's just super yeah. cool. Yeah. So, yeah. You come to Texas, you've got all this amazing experience. You're, you're very well versed and educated in what you enjoy doing, which uh, is research and fishing. So at what point did you say, I'm really going to knuckle down and I'm going to start targeting uh, gar? You know, I, I had a, a close friend who's not in the area anymore who um, I went to college with, and, and he lived kind of in the Tyler area, and and he had uh, originally kind of got me on to, to going for, you know, targeting GAR a little bit, and, um, you know, initially, like, it, there wasn't all that much out there about flies to use or anything so you know we did a lot of experimenting and uh with flies for gar just be clear um and then you know it it became pretty obvious to us you know like you know there's there's well first of all the backup you know there's 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 really like three predominant species there's some uh there's a fourth one so there's spotted long nose and alligator and there's some short nose gar particularly in east texas as well uh, spotted and short nose are tend not to get particularly large and so but on light tackle with smaller flies they're they're still fun to target um, but but all of the gar species have just incredibly bony hard mouths you know they they have you know uh um you know uh, a mandible and a max in maxilla that's mostly just bone with a very thin veneer of you know tough skin and then they've got all these teeth and so there's there's not much to hook you know in terms of jamming a hook into that and and getting it to stick you know and so you know we played with all sorts of different patterns i mean i've got a box that's about 12 years old that's full of patterns that we can get that come off most of the time and you know we we, we experimented with um, lots of like trailer hooks stinger type hooks um even like treble hooks 
I, I know there's a, a guide who's on Instagram who who's one of the few who, who that I know of that really goes after longos a lot. He catches a lot of really big ones. Um, but it, but uh, and he he sounds like he's kind of worked out a good technique using um, a fly that has a trailer treble hook. We, we I tried that and I haven't had very much success um, in landing um, fish. His his situation up there I think is a little different too. Is that it looks like that water he fishes is is in Tennessee is really clear and there may be like a large abundance of fish and it may be that. Um, they miss a lot and, you know, land a few, I, I, I don't know. Um, but he clearly is catching some, so kudos to him and, and whatever method he's, he's sort of worked out, but, you know, we, you know, we would catch a few, but we, you know, vast majority we lose. And then, you know, I, I'd heard of this, you know, using, um, frayed nylon, you know, rope, for for gar and uh, you know again at this point I'm mostly just talk, talking about long nose gar and and so I went ahead and you know brought some on this trip and we we're fishing on the on the Natchez River um, not far from from Tyler and uh, the, and man I mean it went from almost never landing one to like. 75 to 80 percent of the takes we would land the fish and um we started you know I, we started scaling up our flies and, you know we, we used different colors and it started to learn that that color sometimes did actually matter not necessarily the the rope itself but like the front of the flies um we'd fish different colors we'd see what's happening if the fish were up cruising, you know, we'd sight fish them. If they were down deeper, we sometimes fish sinking lines where we knew they were gulpers and they were down deep and we'd fish real slow sinking lines and, and catch them that way. But, but it was like, I mean, the term game changer, you know, that that's a, uh, but it was, I mean, it just suddenly became where not only were we, you know, catching, you know, majority of the takes, which, for, for, for fly fishing of any species, really. I mean, you're, if you're, of, of, of a, you know, I would guess that in most species, if you land 50% of the fish that you get a take on, that's, that's pretty good ratio. I mean, we're really doing better, consistently better than that. And, um, but you have to kind of unlearn using this technique. You have to really kind of unlearn what you've learned about fly fishing and, and setting the hook because while we do still have a hook on the front of the fly, and I used to run a trailer hook off the back, um, a lot of times that gets caught up in the, the frayed nylon and, and so forth. Um, the vast majority of the time, the fish is getting its teeth entangled in this frayed nylon rope. You know, so it, this fly looks actually looks amazing in the water. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, you, you can make them look beautiful if you want i mean i used to make them look really like big fancy streamers and and i've i've simplified it um a lot but bottom line was you know it's it it really looks like um to if so for for long as gar their, their primary food source is gizzard shad that is probably 90 to 95 percent of their diet and gizzard shad have you know kind of a silvery back you know but a really white belly and a lot of times 
gizzard shad aren't doing well, you'll, you'll see, you know, this white belly kind of turning in the water. And, and I'm convinced, you know, they see that and, and they just see it as a wounded gizzard shad. Um, and that white color, you know, we put a little flash in there. And, um, but if you look at the way, one of the, another, another reason why gar are so difficult to hook is if you, if you, well, for one, I've, I've kept gar in aquaria, raised them from, from fry and fed them and watched them how they eat and feed. And, and gar, gar um, do not come like at, at their prey, like straight and engulf it. So that such that like a fly would get back in its jaws. They've got these long jaws for, you know, this is an adaptation. They are, they're mostly ambush feeders. They're not out swimming around trying to chase things down. They will at times, but mostly they're just, they, they move real slow and they're just cruising and they're waiting for something to not realize that they're there and something will come by and they'll see it and you'll watch them and they'll turn and they open their jaw and they bite it sideways. So if their jaw is here and this is, and so it's in their jaw and, you know, and so it's in the middle of that jaw and then they'll hold it. And sometimes they'll swim around, they'll swim away and they're trying to hold down on that bait fish. I see long nose swimming around with, with gizzard shad in their, in their jaws and they're right pretty much smack dab in the center of the length of that jaw is where they're holding it. And they're holding it so that the fish is basically perpendicular to their jaw and they're holding it. And then they'll hold it and then they'll slowly, do, they'll move it like this and they'll turn it just a little bit. And they'll gradually start working that fish back toward the, their, their throat. And then they'll finally swallow and they can actually swallow it. Once they get, get it back there, they can expand it and they can swallow a pretty big, big fish. And so when you're fishing with flies, the same, you're, you're, you're basically dealing with the fact that when they're, the way they take it is also going to tend to be predominantly. Now, again, somebody's going to say like, oh, well, I catch them in the back, you know, throw all the time or whatever, I, whatever. I mean, I just know how they feed. And for the most part, you know, if you're used trying to hook them in that part of the mouth, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, a fairly low probability um, adventure, you know? So, so these, 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 these rope flies are just, you know, they work great. Now, some people will be like, oh, well, then you got to deal with trying to get it out of their mouths and all that. Well, if you've caught a big long nose gar before, and you brought it in, you'll know that the last one, of the last things I want, particularly like in my boat, um, is a long nose gar with like two sets of treble hooks in its jaws, because they they go they go crazy. They are yeah. extremely difficult to handle, and you know you 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 know. So I wear these are just. Uh, Dollar ninety nine um, latex covered gloves that you can get just about anywhere. Uh, work gloves, um, and sometimes you'll feel the teeth. But but I wear these gloves. I, I don't like to cast with them generally, 
Um, once I have the fish on and I've worked it and I'm getting, getting it close to having it in, I'll often like kind of slowly put these gloves on and then I will grab them. I'll snoot them or snout them. I'll just basically grab them by the snout and lift them up. And then I'm able to bring them in and I'll try to gently, or sometimes I'll just leave them in the water and hold them. And I'm able to kind of pry their jaws open and then I take a pair of needle nose pliers um, and start to pull those fibers out. Um, sometimes I'll just do it with my fingers, with the gloves. Occasionally there's a fish that gets really wrapped up and it takes a little bit longer, but a lot of times I've got that fish unbuttoned in 10 seconds. And so people who say like, oh man, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's such a pain to try to get that out of their mouths. I'm like, you know, the alternative with, with treble hooks and things like that is you, there's a reasonably good chance that you might end up in the ER <laughs> with these fish. Um, I've had them, you know, uh, where I think they're totally under control, they'll act fine. And then suddenly just completely flip. I've had them, their jaws come and just cut me right in the face, or cut my leg. I'll, I always wear long shirts, long pants. Um, you know, I'm trying to make it sound like they're scary. They're actually really pretty easy to control once you learn how to do it. But, um, but those big ones, I mean, a, a 50 inch long nose, depending on where you get it, you know, is going to be, um, you know, fit between 15 and 20 pounds. And, you know, and then you start going up towards the 60 inch long fish and, and those fish as can be 30, you know, the world record is 62 inches long and 43 pounds. It had a girth like it, like this, um, it was from the Trinity river in Texas and, uh, Lake Livingston is, uh, is the last reservoir on the Trinity. And I think consistently, I, if you look at the, the IGFA records for long nose gar, most all of them have come for, for fly fishing anyway, have come from Lake Livingston. And, and I, and I, and I think some of these really super fat fish that have been caught in the Trinity are come up from that lake as well. Um, so any rate the, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I should actually maybe show you like, so I, how do I, you know, I've got this, uh, have you ever seen these, uh, like sushi rolls by mm -hmm. fish pond, yeah. they work, they work really well for gar flies. And so I've got a mix, mix of, um, rope flies in here and then, um, and then some of my alligator gar flies, which I, which I haven't really started talking about, about yet, but, um, keep, yeah, keep, go that, ahead. keep that thought with that being said, this is the only time I'm going to offer to say, would you like me to blur that out? <laughs> no, no, seriously. This is the only time I'm ever going to ask anyone that. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Ryan, uh, you, you got out some of those flies and, uh, what's interesting is, is, you know, we talk about dry fly patterns, nymphs, uh, you know, uh, all, all that different kind of stuff. These are streamers, but these are 
big streamers. They're not little streamers. And, uh, you know, folks that fish for predatory species like pike and muskie, uh, uh, of course, gar, uh, maybe even some saltwater uh, uh fish are, are going to be familiar with a, with something the size, but people that are more of like your, your trout angler or salmon or steelhead on the fly, or, or, you know, the, the other species, they're not going to see streamers this big. So it's just cool because they're so big and, and you, and you guys talked about the movement and, uh, you know, how they flow through the water and everything else, but you want to show us a couple of those, not, not the top secret patterns, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the, well, the I ones mean, it really, you know, yeah. So, you know, I mean, so an example, you know, so, so for one, I, I use like a, a, a fairly inexpensive mustad saltwater hook. Um, is it 34 007s? Is that the, is that the one I'm thinking of? But, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is they have a pretty large eye and if you're fishing, what I do is I, I fish um, no more than 12 inches of up to, you know, 80 pound shock tippet, which um, you, you can get away with, with less than that. And I've very rarely had a fish cut me off, but never when I'm using shock tippet that heavy. And that basically is just a, a bite guard and you'll get nicks and stuff in it. And then gradually you'll just, you know, you'll change your leader. Um, but if you've tried to use a lot smaller fly, you know, with a smaller hook, which actually in some ways is better because a, a smaller hook with a, with a, a finer point is more likely to penetrate that bone if you're going to really hook them. And so a lot of times, if I do fish, um, if I do want to, you know, a lot of times I'll, and this one doesn't have one, but I'll, off the back of the fly, I don't know if that's in focus, I'll, you know, um, I, I oftentimes will have um, some, some wire that's basically doubled over um, that I can thread a, like a, a, gama, a small gamagatsu octopus hook or something mm -hmm. on there, like, but yeah. a real small one and use that as a trailer. Now you could, you could put a, a treble on there or something if you wanted. Um, but I've gotten where we're generally, I, I don't, I don't do that, but to, you know, to really hook them, you know, those finer point, I think um, hooks will probably work a little bit better, but I do, I do hook them on these and it depends on where they've taken the fly. But, but this is an example of one that's been chewed up, you know, essentially, um, this this is like two two strands of of um, braided nylon uh, rope and you know I'll, I'll cut a strand and I'll basically double it over when I tie it in um, and bring it back and I and I actually won't even separate the fibers until I'm ready to to fish with it and I really just kind of pull them apart just a little you don't need to do like do all this combing and stuff you it won't take long after a fish or two that you're going to have to get, and they'll use a, a stainless steel brush and I'll just kind of brush them out a little bit just to kind of get it. But Real this quick. is an example of a, of a fly that's been munched on several times. And, and, and actually it probably was longer than this before. Like, so sometimes the fibers at the end will get, um, 
well, you can see some these long pieces here. And so if you get like a short strip, you don't want them grabbing that. So a lot of times they'll actually cut it back each time. And then eventually you just retire the fly after, after several fish. But, you know, so this, this is, you know, my, I've kind of gone to where most of the time I fish with um, like a, a, a red, um, maybe with some silver on it. And so this is like this polar reflector flash, I, which I, I used to use, you know, um, rabbit or some other materials like Palmer up here, but, but this stuff really, um, I, I like it a lot. Um, it gives you color and a little bit of flash. Um, there's a little bit of, um, this is called fly fur. It's a, it's actually, um, I think it's, a, it's longer and I think a better alternative to, to craft fur where in, a lot of guys use it. In fact, at first, I believe one of the first times I saw it was a, a guy who was tying pike or musky flies. And, and uh, I get it from a place up in uh, North Dakota, actually, that, that carries it. Um, and so I'll use that. And I, and I actually use this, this material on alligator gar flies a lot, which I'll show you in a minute. But yeah, so, but this is, this is more or less the long nose pattern. You know, um, a lot of times I'll time even like even simpler, like this is chartreuse is sort of my other, you know, real go-to color. And, you know, with, you know, I usually just use a red, um, red thread and gives it a little bit, a little bit of red in there. Um, and then the main thing is, is you just want this, tie this rope in. So it's really close to the back of the shank because it's going to end up getting wrapped around the hook. So if you've got the rope tied in up here, it's going to get all mangled around the hook point. Um, in some cases you can cut the hook point off completely. So this fly has no, no hook at all. It's just the, so I'll, um, I just take heavy duty, um, wire cutting type pliers and, and cut, cut the hook off. Now I tend not to do that if I'm fishing somewhere where there are alligator gar, because, the, I've only landed two alligator gar ever on a rope fly and they were relatively small and it was super fluky lucky like uh alligator gar you can re really cannot catch on rope fly so it's I've, I've actually never really come up I've tried to come up with a hybrid pattern that works like for both species really well but the the properties that make the rope fly really good for long nose really work against you for alligator gar. And I don't know if we, we want, we want to go to that yet, or we want to kind of talk a little bit more about the, the long nose, um, and, and, you know, essentially how to go about fishing these flies for them. Well, I, you know, something for me and, and John jump in here if you want to, but uh, we talk about multiple fish species. So you talk about spotted long nose alligator, and I, I can't remember there's a there's a fourth one, but yeah, uh, short nose, short mm -hmm. nose. Okay, so between those four different species of gar, let's say, um, what are the principal differences? Uh, just, you know, ecologically, their their feeding habits, their predatory habits, um, you know, are, are some daytime feeders or some nocturnal feeders, uh, obviously gizzard shad makes up the diet of the long nose, um, similar to the alligator gar. I mean, it, 
what what are you looking for dynamically speaking because we can we can talk about like you know comparative like a salmon species where you could throw a jig in and they like to see that twitching action right mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. uh so so is it similar with the gar in their predatory instinct where they want to see something that's kind of fluttering and wounded off to the side like it, it, as long as the prey is wounded and susceptible are they attacking it or are some more of the scavenger feeder type well the that's yeah that's a good question and you know so you know in terms of the the smaller gar species you know the, you know again they're they're feeding strategies real similar but they're generally going to be feeding on a lot smaller prey and they may even be you know like spotted gar will have known to, you know, they'll eat crayfish, they'll, you know, and, and, and spotteds tend to be more in, in river systems, you'll find them, um, you know, long nose and alligator gar tend to, can, can be in smaller, but mostly those are bigger rivers. So like smaller systems, a lot of times will be spotteds. Short nose can be pretty widely distributed. I, I don't know that much about short nose, but I, they're, they're all over the place in, in uh, the sulfur. I know that much, John. Um, but again, for the most part, they don't get very big. The density of their teeth and the spotted also make it so that they'll take these rope flies. If they're small, you can tie much smaller rope flies, um, but they tend not because the density of their teeth isn't adequate. So it's almost like every species, I'd say short nose and spotted, you could use, you know, really just small streamers with a, maybe a stinger hook. Um, and you, you'll, you'll definitely catch them. You'll get some good takes. Um, these bigger flies, they're just too big. They generally won't go for occasionally they might, but, um, you know, and so in terms of what they eat, it's, you know, they're, they're all fairly like opportunistic ambush predators. Um, it's just that the size of their prey really ends up differing quite a bit. Now, in terms of like scavenger, like obviously people, a lot of bait fishermen know that they incidentally catch gar when they're fishing, particularly like for, for catfish, you know, if they're using fresh cut bait and things of that nature. So, you know, gar are definitely attracted to smell and they will eat um you know but they're not into like decomposing old nasty you know i mean they they like fresh cut bait you know things of that nature and in fact the alligator gar guides primarily you know they they use cut carp and sometimes buffalo um but but buffalo and drum and to some degree carp are the primary prey species for alligator gar and uh, so there's some niche differentiation between those fish because obviously uh, if you've seen you know smallmouth buffalo and carp and drum you know they can be pretty good size and and uh, but but they'll, they'll grab their prey the same way and and so I've actually gone um, to, to kind of learn more about alligator gar habitat and behavior, you know, I've gone with a couple of the guides um, who are probably the longest running. And I, I don't mean to leave anybody out. If there's, I don't, there's some other ones like Chris Moody, I think is a really long time running guide. But, um, but um, Byron Kirkland, who's Kirk Kirkland's dad, I fished with him for alligator gar probably 
10, 12 years ago. And then Bubba Bedry, who's, and both those guys were on River Monsters, I think. Um, and, you know, and so essentially the technique that they use is um, they're using big chunks of cut, um, cut and carp generally is what they prefer. They'll use buffalo, but carp tends to be the the best and and they and, and the fresher the bait the better and they they basically have a, a three aught is kind of what they've all kind of come to is like that's the biggest hook they can use that won't potentially kill the fish um, and they'll hook this big chunk of carp and some very a lot of times it's there's no weight they'll just have like a, a big slip float that will kind of act as a lever where you can tell where the, the bait is and just cast it out and you just wait. And, and what the alligator gar will do is they tend to stay on the bottom. And what they do is they, they cruise along and they're waiting for the same thing to happen. They're waiting for, cause Buffalo are a bottom feeding fish. And so are carp, so are jump. They they're waiting for one of those fish to swim by and get in their zone and then they ambush it and um, that's how they feed. And so they, they fish these, these, this cut, uh, carp and, and bait on, on, on the bottom. And, but what, what they don't do is once you like, say you've got a fish that's grabbing and starting to, they don't set the hook right away, um, because they do the same thing that I was describing with the long nets. They will grab that bait and they hold in their mouths and, some of it could be that, you know, I've heard them say like, well, they're, they're, they swim around because they're trying to find a spot to go eat it so that other gar won't come and, you know, try to compete for it or whatever. Um, that, that's probably partly true. I also think, though, it's their be natural behavior to grab onto this fish and they just hold and start crushing it to, to slowly kill it. And then they reposition that, that fish so that the head can go basically head first. That's how they all, they, they swallow there. And so you'll see this float and you'll, they'll have the, the bail open or the, the, they'll have the live bait. I'm not that much of a bait guy, so I don't know all the terminology there, but, and you'll see this line and it'll just be running around with it. And they wait until the fish stops and they give it a second and that fish is now swallowing the bait and then they, and then you wail on them and you set the hook. And so um, pretty much all of that gar that you see, these monster gar that people are catching on the Trinity and other places are being, um, being gut hooked um, with, with these treble hooks. Um, the good news is, is they've been tagging these fish and they're, they're, they're catching a lot of fish that they've caught and, before um you know so there's there's some concern that you know gut hooking a fish is generally not good for for most fish <laughs> um but yeah. um at the same at the same time though these guys are eating you know big fish that are spiny yeah. and those big spines are going down in their esophagus and whatever else so if you've got a hook that's not so big that's going to start puncturing back up into some of their vital organs or their swim bladder it seems as though that bronze hook will eventually kind of rust out and they'll kick it out. So you land fish and then they, they actually cut the wire. They fish a, they, 
a hundred and some odd pound wire leader and they'll just cut it and then you let the fish go. And so, um, so you can see the similarities in the behavior of all of them in the way that they take. And so that leads, you know, to, so, so for, for, for the, again, getting back to long nose, um, the way they grab it and they'll have that in their mouths like this um, a lot of times. And so if you just go to like set the hook or pull it, all you, you, you might get them. Sometimes they get it right away. But usually what you do is, you, this is where you try to unlearn what you've learned in fly fishing, yeah. is, is instead of you, you, you feel it and you, them grab it, if, if you're blind casting or if you see it and that you see them grab it, then I let go and I let them, I, and I count to five. I give them a five count and you'll see them and they'll, they'll be doing this. And every time they do that, it gets that rope slightly more, it's, it's because it's loose, it's actually like getting more tangled in their teeth. And, and then I just gently raise up on the rod and then mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're obviously not feeling anything other than just tension on their mouth. They're initially pretty confused and sometimes, and then once they realize what's going on, then a lot of times it's just huh. off to the races. Yeah. And, uh, they'll, some of them, some of them will just, will just dog you the whole time. Other times they'll, you know, take you in your backing. Obviously if you're in a place where there's more flow, you know, they'll, they'll really start running. Uh, and, and, uh, and yeah, sometimes eventually, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say baby them, you know, that you're usually, I mean, I'm putting a lot of pressure and you can look on my Instagram. I mean, there's some kit where my rod is just to, you know, often to the point where like, if I put any more pressure on a rod, it would break. Um, and that, that fly is holding in their mouth. Um, so, but you know, just sometimes you'll look and you can see how it's in their mouth and sometimes it'll open their mouth and it's like only in the top part and they're shaking their head like this. And then you're like, okay, I gotta be careful here. I'm about to lose this fish. And, um, and it just makes, I know it's all this part of the fun, I think. Um, so, so yeah, so those are some examples, but for, for guys who like to spin fish or don't fly fish, mm -hmm you can do the exact same thing. And one of the things that I do, you know, I, I take friends out who don't fly fish and I basically tie that same fly, but I've taken these stainless steel bullet weights. Um, if you can see that. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, I'll actually use the same hook. I'll cut the bend of the hook off slide the stainless steel bullet weight up to the front and then basically tie the rest of the fly on this. And you could, I would say you, you could do it on a shank, but you can't get this over the, the hook. So this slides over the, the, the hook after I've cut it off pretty nicely and you can use bigger weights or whatever. I mean, and you know, it's basically like a, a worm, you know, kind of uh, weight. Um, but a spin fisherman can cast this pretty far and you can, you can cast directly to fish and sight fish them, hold it up or blind cast. And, um, 
and so so spin fishermen can enjoy um you know alternatively you could take a fly like this and just run a um one of these weights down your line and maybe maybe have a little swivel or something above it to keep it from moving too far and, and you could cast that way as well so so um this technique you know works works well um for for, for anglers who don't have fly rods too so um yeah so it's it's simple but it, it's it's pretty darn effective dude so how uh i i guess before i ask this uh please keep going if you're going to keep going for your flies <laughs> no no i mean that's just the that's the gist right. of it i mean i I've, I've got lots of different you know variations of, of flies i mean these are the real yeah. most basic basic ones but you know i encourage people to experiment you know with all sorts of things even if they want to try doing you know hooking them or whatever that's the fun of it you know is 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 particularly with fly fishing is kind of coming up with your own creations and playing with it and seeing how it works and tweaking and and i've been doing that for for years and you know kind of settled in on on these just because they're just work so consistently um but that said you know i mean um there's there's still probably a, a lot of uh opportunity for people to develop some neat new new patterns that that work work well and 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 in different ways than than these. My uh my first gar I caught on the fly and I was targeting oh. gar. I caught on a white sonker strip with <laughs> um I think I it was on a that. it was on a size two eagle claw thin wire snow hook. With, oh, wow. with and the hook didn't bend out by the way. I distinctly remember telling Brian that because that was, I went on Brian's podcast on that exact day, dude. And, <laughs> and uh, it was just white zonker strip with this like copper polar chenille that I had palmered back for a belly. Yeah. And I was just throwing out and I actually, I hooked like four or five gar that day. <laughs> and, and I got three to the bank and I didn't know, I didn't think I was going to catch them, but I had, I had made this game plan in my mind. I had been mulling this over for days at work. Like it's been raining a lot. It's flooded. There's going to be a lot of discharge. Every time there's a lot of discharge, I see them up on the bank. And I, so I'm like, I can, I can cast that far. <laughs> and, and I, I, I got this, the biggest long nose I ever got was on that white zonker strip and I couldn't land it. I got it to the bank and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do now? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have hemostats. I didn't have gloves. You know, I was like, uh, earth to John, what are you doing here, man? So I'm down there in the rocks, getting water in my boots, trying to get it off. And like, as I get down there to grab the fish, it's like, Oh, that see you by Thanks. And it just, just swims off. I got it all on video. I was like, man, <laughs> but, oh, well i mean you you basically lead you basically leadered it right i mean with marlin yeah. it, it counts right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so for you though 
did you know you had a possible state record? Because I'm, I'm going way back to the first of the podcast here. Texas state record, alligator gar on the fly through IGFA. Everything certified. I, I, I look at that all the time and I, I get a little tear in my eye. You know, <laughs> how, how did you, did you know that was a record fish when you hooked it? Well, I mean, I got to, first of all, I got to be, uh, be, you know, honest in that, you know, there, there are, uh, there are a couple of IGFA record alligator gar that were caught by Bubba Bedry's clients um, that are bigger in Texas and they, but he never submitted them to Texas. So that in terms of it being a Texas record, you know, you go through the process. I mean, Texas doesn't recognize IGFA record. You have to submit, you know, your, the paperwork. And, and so, but it was at the time um, going to be the, the line class record world record for, for the 20 pound test um, and for IGFA. So, so I sent it to both um, and my, my line, my, my, what's called your class tippet tested at 0.05 pounds on average above so it's, it's actually 10 kilograms. So it's like 22 pounds is technically, so it gives you, so, so I was using 20 pound and I'm going to just say what it is. Yeah. Uh, it was Rio saltwater mono. And when I sent that in, um, the, the, the guy who was handling the record, you know, he's like, everything checks out. This looks great. I just have to do the line testing. He goes, what type of line is it? And I told him, he goes, oh, uh -oh. and I was like, what? And he's like, uh, well, we'll see how it goes. But I, it's like, even there's even the 16 pound Rio saltwater tests over 20, over 10 kilograms. And I was like, you know, it hadn't occurred to me that because you know, I really hadn't messed with IGFA yeah. before, you know, hadn't occurred to me that when they say something is 20 pound, that it really might test like much higher, you know? And so it ended up not being as bad as he thought, but it, so the average was 0 0.05 pounds over the, and so it was disqualified from being the IGFA 20 pound line class, but the, Texas, on the other hand, from terms of fly fishing records, no one had submitted one this large. And so, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's, I also recognize that there've been at least a couple others caught on flies um, it, and that, that have been bigger. Now, with that said, I have hooked and cried um, <laughs> afterwards because I have not landed. Um, much larger alligator gar um and this is the this is the part where i'll show you alligator gar a couple alligator gar flies um so so with alligator gar i use an entirely different uh, approach 
so that the rope from a rope fly, if if you have hooks on that, say like you're trying to to, to fish for a long nose and alligator gar, and you because a lot of times that's what we're doing is we'll see both and we want you know and of course we'll have the I'll have the wrong rod in my hand, <laughs> so so I've tried to develop a hybrid fly, but you, you'll you'll if you throw a, a high, this fly that has a rope and and hooks for an alligator gar that rope will actually kind of, it will kind of get hung up in their teeth enough where they'll, they'll like kind of shake and, and then it will just pull, pull out. So it actually impedes your ability to set the hook into their jaw, which is already extremely difficult to hook. And so gradually I've gone to a minimalist, you know, so I'm, I use this fly fur that, 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 puffs up and, and creates a really nice profile. Um, I, you know, I use, I, I like that this, so I've basically got um, you know, um, a shank here and a trailer hook. And this is, I've tried different hooks and I've gone to more of a shorter shank, um, saltwater, you know, kind of like a tarpon hook. Um, and, and then I also take these hooks and then I sharpen them even more. Uh, I mean, the, these, and so, um, and the goal here is to prevent, you know, is to create a fly that looks, has a nice profile, but when they take it, the, the material is not hanging on their teeth at all. Basically you, you, you're trying to strip strike as hard as you can into their mouths and jamming that hook in there and, and you don't want that material kind of hanging a little bit on their teeth and preventing that because that just gives them more time to do what they they're they're uncanny about this is once they start to feel that they actually will i find that they turn towards me maybe it's just my imagination it's just bad luck i don't know but it seems like they turn towards me and they open their mouth and they go ah, like this mm -hmm. and you're at that point, it's most of the time it's over, you know, it's just, you don't have the angle, um, to, to really set the hook. And, um, and a lot of times it comes out. So, um, the other thing that they do though, this gets back to their behavior is you'll think you have them hooked. They'll bite down on it. And remember how I was telling you how they'll bite down on prey and they'll swim, try to swim away with it well their jaws are really strong compared to a long nose and they'll bite down on that fly and i'm like i mean i'm doing the billy pate you know tarpon. <laughs> <laughs> i mean like yeah. as many times as i yeah. possibly can just like over and over and over and i'm like there's no way i don't have this fish hooked right and it's and it's running off and you know i've i've had fish over seven feet long for sure um you know 150 pound alligator gar and you know and i'm like and then all of a sudden they'll they'll, they'll pull line pull and, pull and then they just come loose and i think all those strips i don't think the fly ever moved i think it was they had they were completely clamping down on that fly so hard that I, you know, and if you're using an IGFA, you know, 
which you know 16 or 20 pound line class there's only so much you can hard certainly so you can only pull so hard uh, before it breaks and and i have popped a couple trying to do that so um so yeah they're they're tough to hook for a lot of a lot of reasons and um so you know but um but this this style fly you know which is is a lot like a pike or a musky fly but a little bit sparser um you know i mean these hooks are so sharp i'm i'm like you know just touching it and it's stuck to me um you know so you know i i've gotten where you know it's a probably about 20 to 25 percent of the takes um that i'll i'll hook and and play them to the bank there have been cases where i've been on like like just like you were talking about john like on a bank where it's like i'm sinking up to my waist in mud as i'm trying to land this thing and it's like literally sitting on the bank next to me and i'm reaching <laughs> over trying to get it you know and it's doing this with his mouth and then you see the fly kind of fall out i'm like no <laughs> and then it just swims away um I've had, I've had so many like weird cases like that. So it's really helpful to have someone in a lot of times that's when I'm by myself. It's really helpful to have a partner fishing with you who can help you land it. And, um, you know, a lot of the alligator guard guides, they basically use like a lasso and you'll, you'll get the fish to the boat when it's tired. And then you slip the lasso over the rod and down and, and then over the, over the fish and you get it right behind the pelvic fins and then they pull it and then what they basically have got them because it just the, the shape of the fish and you just hold it tight and a lot of times they'll lift them into the boat or you pull over to the shore and then you can drag them in some smaller ones i have like a musky sling where you can kind of slide them in and then close it and then that's, pull them up that way yeah that, that's what i was gonna say was uh you know well number one when you do hook one of those fish because of their mouth and and the bone structure i mean what happens with the does the hook penetrate through but also you know our nets or slings uh, like an optional item uh to assist in that landing because i know that when you when you got that mouthful of teeth whipping around like this it's probably not the most uh, fun to go up there and actually try to get a hold of the fish so yeah it's un they're not like like the glove method with an alligator gar is pretty much a no-go you you, you yeah. yeah so some guy you know for smaller ones i've seen guides you know they'll have these long handled like huge nets and but those a lot of those nets are still too small for the the big alligator gar and so the, the the lasso technique seems to be the the universal approach that works really well um but again the the sling the little or, or the little cradle that where you just slide them up and over and then close it down and then lift for for some of the smaller ones um you know by smaller i'm you know like 50 pounders mm -hmm. um it, it, that that method um, works okay too if you don't have have that available. But 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 yeah, having someone to help you land it is is um, is important. Mm -hmm. So that's been a major issue for me with alligator guards. A lot of times, I'm potentially out by myself, and uh, you know, 
and it's just you're just just counting down until that fly is going to come out. So, but to your point, uh, Brian, you asked, does it? Yeah, sometimes you do you do get it to 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 fully penetrate. And the, ideally, what you want is you want to get them in the corner of the mouth over here. Okay. And okay. there's a little more soft tissue there. And so another big factor that's a lot of it is luck is what, you know, so I'm all, we're sight fishing and you're looking for fish that are cruising. I almost never blind cast for alligator gar. Mm-hmm. You're looking for a fish that's cruising. And a lot of times you'll see them two or three feet below the surface, just kind of hang in there and be like, okay, there's one you throw out in front of it. And the angle of the fish, like if, if it's, the worst is when you've got one that's like swimming right at your boat because you cast at it. And I'm telling you, nine out of 10 times, if you don't spook them, they take it and they crush it. I mean, they hit, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really vicious take. I mean, they do not mess around. They're just crushing. And so, so you think for sure, but if it's facing you again, that strip, set a lot of times it just doesn't get the right angle and it'll tend to pull so sometimes i'll wait i'll actually wait and hope it hangs on as it swims maybe swims away and a lot of times they'll drop it so that whole part of the game is something i'm still working on um you know i know you know where i fish and how i do it is not the same as like where like bubba is getting a lot of these records like he fishes um during really high flows in the spring a lot of times they're in the backwater areas and a lot of those fish are spawners actually probably most of them are and they're just back in you know that's what they do during real high water years they 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 spawn in the floodplains and they clear water and he's able to see and target those fish but for me it's more of a summer low water thing and i'm cruising around in pretty muddy water, you know, hoping to see, you know, ideally about if you've got 12 to 18 inches of visibility, that's usually enough to, to, to fish. Um, obviously the more, the better, but most of the places where alligator gar occur are pretty muddy. So, um, you know, so finding the right place to fly fish for them is probably the biggest limiting factor. Long nose are, are much more common and you find them a lot below tail waters where water is going to be quite a bit clear for at least a little bit, bit, bit of distance. And, and hence you've got more opportunities, I think for those, but, but, you know, some of the, some of these rivers are just, you know, the Trinity is just, looks like just gray, dark gray soup, uh, zero visibility in the Trinity. I mean, there's basically no chance of, um, catching a, 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 an alligator gar in the tr- main stem trinity, um, you've got to find those backwater areas where some of the sediment starting to settle out and there's a little bit of water clarity. Um, so yeah, I know I've kind of rambled here so a lot. Uh, no, dude, you're good. This is, good. this is like, this is a lot of information to take in, but for me, I, I could listen to this all day, you know, <laughs> Well, yeah, probably running a little long for your uh, audience, no. though. Oh, no. No, not at all. No. <laughs> so 
I do, I do want to make a comment, something I, I find some humor in, but I really appreciate it at the same time. Uh, so we all found each other through Instagram, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't know who you were, dude. I had no idea. All I did is I looked up the hashtag Gar on the fly. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, this guy's doing it too. And I clicked on it. And that post happened to be you posting the alligator guard coming out of the water, just exploding out of the water. And you're like, yep, this was the state record fish, you know? And I was like, hold up state record. And then you went on with everything about it. I was like, holy smokes, I got to talk to this guy. (laughs) And what Brian, something I really appreciate about you, by the way, is um, I, when I reached out to you, you didn't, you weren't tight lipped. You know, you, I asked you some pretty, I don't know, they may have been dumb questions to you, but I I needed to know, right? So I asked you these questions and you gave me legitimate answers and you, you helped me get a really great understanding of this. I said this, you know, during our break, but without Ryan's mentorship, I wouldn't be where I am as this gar addict. Uh, I, it's, it's, I'm dangerously close to being able to say that gar are my favorite species of fish. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, uh, the, the other hashtag that, you know, we, we do, we check out a lot of analytics, you know, we, we run several pages and one of my favorite hashtags on your post is Texas muskie. <laughs> <laughs> so so how how did that come about well you know we've got some fun hashtags like um nick feller him and his his uh partner they have they have some cute hashtags for on their hiking stuff and then you know i've got like bass eat bugs but texas muskie (laughs) how how did you how did you come across that at at what point were you like yeah this is good because it is it's great (laughs) I, I, I don't, I mean, there's, you know, there muskies are, you know, obviously muskies are not nearly as abundant as a long nose gar, you know, whatever, and really different in a lot of ways, but they're, they're both like ambush apex predators, really toothy. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I think muskies are, are, are really badass, And, yeah. and, 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 yeah, and I kind of like the idea of people thinking of, thinking of, you know, gar species as apex predators versus like a trash fish, um, which is, you know, the predominant view of of a lot of fishermen because, you know, a lot of people aren't targeting them and they catch them and like, you know, they're hard to handle and whatever. Um, But, you know, I mean, these are ancient, just, just really primitive I mean, they have survived an amazing amount of environmental change over 150 million years, and they've re- changed relatively little. I mean, you look at the fossil record. I mean, and that to me is just so cool that we've got these these fish right here in our backyard that have been around doing this for that long, and and again, they're they're huge, and you can catch them on the flies. And yeah, it's you know so so you know I just I was just kind of one day I was just like called it a Texas muskie, and 
um, then I've just started putting that on 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 posts with Gar just because <laughs> I, I just try and I do have some guys from Wisconsin and Minnesota now like following me you know because and I get their musky posts and stuff you know so um, and and a lot of flies you know I mean this basically is a takeoff of you know a musky slash pike um, you know, pattern and, uh, you know, and that's if for folks who want to target alligator gar, that's probably what I'd say is what I'd start with is, is just find some, some musky patterns, get some big musky flies that aren't too bulky, um, and have tandem hooks, really sharp hooks. And, um, and, you know, their sight fishing is ultimately going to be your best highest probability of, of getting them, you know, and if the water's too muddy, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of luck, but if you can find some places where there's a little bit of clarity and you've got alligator car, got a shot. And I mean, I, I mean, not, there just aren't that many people who've caught uh, alligator gar on flies and, and um, you know, the, the chance of, 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 of a huge one, you know, is just, um, you know, that, I, yeah, I just think they're, they're just so dang cool. So they, they really are, man. You know, I was, I was reading about the, you gotta forgive me because uh, I don't, I've, I've read this stuff, like the, the genus, right? Originally, Gar were under the same Essex classification as, um, I don't remember the date, as, uh, you know, musky and pikes and things of that nature. And I guess it was like late 1800s, early 1900s when that shifted, I believe. I don't know that for a fact, but so when I saw that, that that's when I started reading about the genus of them, you know, because a lot of guys, they put Essex uh, for all their musky posts. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, I read the guard genus. I'm like, yeah, I can't pronounce that, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lep Lepizosteus is the, uh, is the one for long nose and spotted and short nose. And there's also a Florida gar and down in Florida that is uh lepizosteus. And then, um, then there's, um, it's atrocosteus, which is the genus for allig alligator gar, atrocosteus spatula is a species. And then there's a cuban gar that's actually an atrocosteus as well. And then there's another fish called a tropical gar that's even farther south. That's another lepisosteus. So there's five lepisosteus and two atrocosteus. There's seven gar species in the world. Um, yeah. So yeah, there, 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 there's re even though. So it's kind of like what's called we call convergent evolution in some ways. If you look at the body shape and you know the position of like the dorsal fin on pike in muskies is identical, basically identical to. Gar, and that's probably one of the things that led early classifications, you know, to, to think of them as being real similar. But in reality, they're extraordinarily distantly related yeah. um, in terms of, 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 of evolution. And, and so, um, but that convergent evolution is this idea that like there's a certain body plan that works, you know, and nature starts to select for that over time. And that long slender, you know, being able to, you know, ambush predator, just kind of lying in wait and being able to, you know, like muskies and pike like to hang out and in between logs and vegetation, you know, and having a big round thick body, just, you know, it's 
not going to work very well, right? You know, so so having that long, slender, there's a lot of advantages, you know, to that. And so there you go. There's the, the sim, there's the similarities, but in terms of their relationships, and they're they're really very diff, very distantly related. So, so uh, you know, we we talked about you know the the different species and and the targeting and the flies and all that good stuff what kind of gear do you need to go out and get after these i I, we we really didn't talk about the the rods and reels because i don't think you're going to want to go out there with uh something maybe not up to par you know when we talk about predatory species (laughs) they're big they're strong they're powerful they have teeth um, you know, they're, they're capable of shredding line and snapping rods and, and they, they can do it all. You know, uh, anybody that's caught a pike or a muskie knows how explosive their attack is. And so I can only imagine with something of that size and nature that it has a pretty explosive attack itself, anything, anything predatory. Right. So what kind of gear do you need to get into it? Well, I, you know, I think with, with long nose, you know, you can go as light as maybe like a, a seven weight. Um, you know, one of the issues with, with that is that the flies, you know, themselves are, you know, particularly with wind, they're, they're, they're fairly bulky and wind resistant and they, you know, particularly the rope will start to take on some water and it can be a little bit harder, you know, harder to cast. Um, so I, I typically use, um, like a, a nine, uh, about a nine weight for, for, for long nose, but, but again, I'm, awesome to oftentimes fishing no i know i'm fishing for 50 inch plus fish and that seems like the right balance in terms of uh being able to cast big flies and then being able to put a lot of pressure on a on a big fish and keep it from running into you know wrapping me around stuff and so forth now with alligator gar you know for a while i was using a, a scott heel applied saltwater rod 10 weight and it's just, it was just not enough. Um, wow, that's amazing. And, 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 and so, I mean, at least, you know, the ones I, I mean, there were some where I just, you know, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't put enough reference. Like I'm going to break the rod, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll just dog you and, you know, and you're just pulling and you're almost trying to deadlift at some point, you know, when they get close to the boat, they just will not give up sometimes. And, so I went to um, a 12-weight, but it was a fairly inexpensive rod, and it just still didn't have the backbone. Um, you know, I, I landed, you know, the, those bigger ones, pretty, pretty good size ones, and hooked some bigger ones with it. And I eventually, I'm pretty sure I could have landed, you know, up to maybe a 100-pound fish in a boat and following it around for a long time, you know, if, if it had stayed hooked. But it just still, so I just recently got um, a, 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 new, a new 12 weight. It's still not near, like I can't afford those top of the line rods. Um, you know, so Temple Fork makes a, a rod, an Axiom 2X, uh, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's still not an inexpensive rod. I mean, and, um, but it's nowhere near the price of, of these other rods. And so... I've matched that with, um, and I think the reel is probably like reels are for me, most of the time, unless you're dealing with like 
tarpon and you know or finesse fishing for for trout with 7x where you got to have a really yeah. precise drag and all that my opinion generally the reel is a place to store your line <laughs> and 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 you know a decent drag system is important you know obviously but but most reels you know so i just recently got um a reddington behemoth um the the 11 12 um and i i but I, but i think the line is really important um so i re- i would recommend spending more money on a line than i would on a reel and what and so for like when i where i fit you know in tech it's just extremely hot and a lot of these le- less expensive lines just just like wilt mm-hmm. and you know you end up casting and it's just you end up with you know knots and you're trying to it's really frustrating so you need like so i ended up getting a rio gt line and one of the reasons for that too is that it has a 50 pound core first a lot of fly lines are either you know 20 or 30 pound core lines and you know um you know i i you know i've there's probably some times where i'm gonna maybe just say forget the IGFA part of this, I'm going to just put straight like 40 pound, 50 pound, you know, um, mono on this, on this line. And I'm going to just like, just pull as absolutely as hard as I can to try to set the hook on, on, on some of these alligator gar until I kind of really get it wired. And so, um, so yeah, in that line is designed for casting big flies in hot, very hot. I mean, they use that in the Seychelles. It's like 120 degrees there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would get like a tropical type line that's designed for throwing big flies um, because of the hot weather. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's for long nose also, you know, kind of a, a tropical, like I use a tarpon line for the long nose um and that turns over the flies nicely and again it's all about like the heat really more than anything else they make a lot of lines you know that are like for throwing big flies but some of them are not necessarily for for hot tropical conditions and and that's where a lot of gar are so so i I, that's where i would i would focus my my money is get it you know you don't need to spend a ton on the rod um, the reel is somewhat important, but I mean, some of these reels are just insane in terms of, um, and, uh, but, but a good line I think is important. So do you buy, I already, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask for the other people out there. So do you buy your own leaders or do you tie your own leaders? I, I tie them. Um, so I, I basically tie what's more or less a tarpon leader. Um, you know, I do uh, biminis. So I don't know if you're familiar with a bimini twist knot. It's, it, it actually isn't that, that difficult, but the advantage of the bimini, so it was like, I tie two biminis on what's called the class tippet. And the advantage of it is that you can get 100% knot strength because you're essentially doubling the line where you tie it to your shock tippet 
and then where you tie it to your butt section. So you get a butt section that could be tapered or not, depending on how long you go. Um, and then your class tippet, which with IGFA has to be a minimum of 15 inches long. Um, and what I have found in the past, I was trying to use, um, there's some knots out there, um, like, you know, like a Slim Beauty and some others that tarpon guys use. And I was finding that when I would break, it would break at the knot. And I've taken, I've now done these Biminis and I've done sort of like what Billy Pate and those guys have shown, you know, where you can wrap it around something and pull and it will actually break. Not at the, it breaks like in the middle, you know, like I, I'm amazed at like pretty, you know, I mean, it's, it makes sense that in pretty much any time your line's going to break, it usually breaks at one of the knots because that's just going to be the weakest spot. But with a bimini, it's just, it's not true. So there may be some other knots out there that are close to 100% knot strength, but I've tried some of them that they say, and that's where I've broken. So I've, I've gone to the bimini and, and uh, yeah, I was there, in, you know, in the evening and, you know, be doing rapping, 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 you know, and watching TV or, or something like that and tying up some leaders. Um, it just takes a little bit of practice, but um, it's, it's worth, it's worth it. If, if you're trying to, you know, you know, potentially fish for, for a record fish. So with that being said, you, you said a class tippet of uh, 15 inches, but the leader itself from butt section to it, it's actually from the connection of the fly line to the butt section of the leader, correct? Is where the first measurement goes for the, it's no greater than 10 feet, if I'm not mistaken, from the IGFA standard. Uh, for yeah. the entirety of it? Uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I'm not sure about the entire length of your, your leader. The, 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 there's the couple of the measurements are, yeah, it's from, in terms of 15 inches, it has to be at least 15 inches from the knots, you know, so you've got 15 inches of class tippet that has no knot. And then your, your, your shock tippet, which I, again, I use for alligator gar, I often use like a hundred pound hard, hard mono. Some guys want to try to use wire. Um, I think wire is really hard to fish with. And I've, I've not had, I've never had an alligator gar. Again, a lot of times you're hooking them outside the mouth and it, it's, it's not like these alligator gar guys that are gut hooking them and the lines like way down in their mouth and it's yeah. rubbing on there. You're, you're hooking them out here and it's usually the, the trailer hook that's getting them. And so your line oftentimes is out here anyway. Um, but you, you, your shock tippet can be no more than 12 inches from, from, the, from the fly to the knot that where the class tippet is. And so, um, so if you're a little over 12 inches there, that disqualifies you. And um, you can only, you can use two hooks. Um, you cannot use treble hooks. So if anybody uses a treble hook um, and says they've got a world record, it's, it's, it's disqualified automatically. So you cannot use treble hooks um, up to two hooks. And there's certain distances where they have to be. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of technicalities in it. But I do think there's some value in trying to use IGFA leaders 
partly, you know, just from a, you know, a sporting perspective. And, um, you know, um, if you did, you know, potentially hook, you know, a, 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 a huge fish and you're using, you know, like I kind of suggested that I was going to do, but I probably shouldn't, uh, you know, like straight heart, you know, 50 pound mono and it just kept running and running. I mean, you might end up breaking your fly line and then this fish has a hook and an entire fly line that's dragging around that could get wrapped around something and the fish will die and you've just lost a bunch of money, you know? And so, um, so it's probably better, you know, for the fish and, the, the only, the only reason why I want, I mean, in theory, 16, 20 pounds should be plenty heavy in terms of the amount of pressure you can put on a fish on a rod, but it's really more about the, for me, it's, it's about the hook set. It's about want, being able to put as I'd love to be able to put more pressure on them during the hook set and, you know, conventional anglers, I mean, they can use up to I don't know. It's at least 135 it's, pounds. Yes, yeah, I was about to say it's, it's 130. It's 130 pounds or something. Yeah. Like that. So you, they, conventional anglers can go way, way, way up there. In fact, I, I fish with a friend who's who's got he's running 80 pound braid and he's fishing with big musky, um, and he's got two treble hooks on it. And you know, we've just been experimenting, and he'll cast the alligator gar and they'll take it, and he's got the drag completely turned all the way down, and and then he, he will just, just jerk <laughs> as hard as he possibly can. And he's still, and, he, and even then though, he still like loses. Uh, I mean, he, he catch, he hooks slightly the higher ratio of fish than I do, but it, it just goes to show that it, there's, there's just a lot of things that have to work out just right for you to, to catch them that way but i think that's cool i mean that makes it more exciting and it's more of an accomplishment when you really do it yeah. um so yeah. um and you know and then you know, the the smaller ones i like, tend to be a little easier to hook um you know just for a variety of reasons um, but even the small ones though like you know like a couple of weeks ago i had a couple hours to fish in a in a canal near a place where i was working and i just went out and there was happened to catch a, it was a four, four footer and i weighed it it was a little over 20 pounds but, i mean it was a 20 pound fish i mean it, it fought hard it was hell of a lot of fun so i mean um no you know i mean people don't scoff at baby tarpon right people go to the you know, keys and everglades and they're catching you know 20 to 40 pound tarpon and it's you know it's it's a absolute blast so smaller alligator gar is still a, a, a ton of fun and and they're still and they're still big um, so um at any rate yeah you can tell i like this no yeah yeah <laughs> no, it's okay <laughs> it's fun well i think i think it, it kind of underscores the the you know when we talk about the the passion of pursuing a, a specific species uh a lot of people don't understand that they're like why do you want to go fish for that fish so bad but there's something about each species that i think draws in uh anglers you know it, it could be 
the gar, it could be the muskie. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard many times over and over that uh, many marriages have ended and, uh, uh, you know, divorces filed and, uh, you know, uh, major debts taken on for certain fish, you know, in, in the fishing community. So, so if you're a part of the fishing community and, you, and you're into the specific, you know, species of fish, you're going to really enjoy it. It doesn't matter. You know, you could be, uh, you, you being from the Northwest, you know, like a steelhead angler is like the equivalent of a muskie angler in the Midwest or, uh, you know, gar angler in the South or a stripe, uh, striper angler in Maryland or, you know, uh, or a tarpon angler in Florida. Uh, it's, it's one of those things or even a shark angler in California. It, it, it's like all regionally mm -hmm. specific and the people that go ballistic over it, they, they go ballistic. It's like, oh yeah, you, you, you totally missed this drawer tackle I have for this. Oh, did I show you this drawer tackle? <laughs> oh, here, let me go in and pull out this, this whole box. There's nothing wrong with having that because, <laughs> that, but the thing is, is this is how we learn more about the fish species is because somebody really gets into it. Yeah. And, but it also helps to preserve and protect that fish species too, because we, we get so much joy out of pursuing that fish because of the challenge of the fish. It, it, it could be a fish that is, you know, as, as simple to catch as, uh, you know, something that runs in, in a large number of fish and somebody could just love it and say, hey, you know what, we need to do more to protect it. Uh, but, uh, you know, with, with these big predatory fish, they are special. They're, they're tough. They're tough and they hit hard. They fight hard. Uh, and that's, and I think that's the big allure to, to pursuing the predatory fish species is that that's what they are. There's, there's, there's dudes that love to go after the channel cats and they like, you know, so they're, you know, you have channel cats and, uh, you know, walleye fishermen, like, like the people get obsessive over walleye. They're like, man, <laughs> all I want to do is fish for walleye, 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 walleye. And you're like, you know, there's, there's other things now, but they're all garbage. It's walleye. Uh, carp anglers in Europe, you know, yeah. that's, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, carp. And, and I sit there and I, I watch it and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, you just kind of, you know, how can you fish for that? You know, you're, you're always looking for that action, that flash in the run, or, you know, like you said, sight fishing. So I think it's cool. And, and I think that the, the fact that you're, you're at that focus on that record is just super cool, but also the, the IGFA stuff but also your intimate understanding of the biology of the fish is really just that that's the pinnacle. It's not even like the catching of the fish or anything. It's like the respect for the, the, the place in the ecosystem for the species. And I think that that's one of those things that a lot of people, yeah, there's, there's, there's fish species out there that you can, I guess say, Oh yeah, well this, this needs a special thing. Trout, is one of those things where people are like, oh, you have to gently handle the trout. You know, we have to, we have to make it a, a down bed and, and lay it down in the river so gently, you know, and then you see, you know, other people take them and huck them like a Nerf football, but <laughs> <laughs> outside of that, it, it's more about the respect and understanding of the place and the ecosystem for the gar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you guys said, and you, you both live in gar country. A lot of people refer to these fish as trash fish largemouth and smallmouth bass are considered trash fish here uh, and and it's because they look different they don't have that that silvery side and they typically live in water and river systems that aren't classically western they're not clear 
running streams with the gravel bed you know they're not the metolius they're not the deschutes they're living in stuff like this pond that smells like garbage or you know comparatively or it's living in a river that's full of a bunch of pollution but i think the preservation of the species is so important especially since it's a prehistoric survivor i mean look at look at what that fish species has survived through time where other species have went extinct it's just incredible to me so your passion for it is cool yeah well i yeah and i think very well said and i think that's yeah where a lot of it comes from is just you know the very first time i caught um particularly an alligator are you know i mean it, it was just i really just wanted to 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 come in contact with one you know like to, to touch it and see it you know and up close and just and it was just out of like this tremendous respect for this you know really primitive just amazing you know uh species and and so it's you know uh, it's good that that they're that alligator are getting more positive attention from the angling community um you know i will say you know one of the concerns i have about like talking about you know guard fishing and stuff is that there 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 there's also you know a burgeoning bow fishing community out there mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, while I think bow fishing is perfectly, um, you know, a, probably a very fun activity and, um, you know, there's no catch and release with yeah. bow fishing. Uh, and when, uh, when you have a fish like an alligator gar that, um, you know, can live to a hundred years uh, and, you know, a lot of them, big ones, you know, are, are certainly over 50 years old um you know they're not you people maybe do eat some of the bigger ones but they're loaded with mercury i mean they're mm -hmm. they're not they you shouldn't eat fish that big in any way and so, so dump you know and it's and it's just, and it's just that fish deserves <laughs> something a lot better than that i think and so uh, it, um, there, there are some new regs in some places where they're saying you can only take one fish in the Trinity. I think right now, like you can only get one per year, large alligator gar. And then the, and then the rest, you can keep one per day under 48 inches. And that, that's partly because that river has started to experience tremendous amount of fishing pressure. Um, some of the other rivers that have more difficult access, like the Brazos and the lower Colorado and some others, I'm very concerned. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, we're doing research. We're actually collaborating with Texas Parks and Wildlife, trying to develop some non-lethal techniques for assessing the health of both the ecosystem and the fish, the fishes themselves of alligator gar. Um, <clears throat> Because I, I think there's certain stretches of, of rivers, of these rivers, where um, if bow anglers were able to get in there, um, they could wipe them out. Uh, I'm convinced that they could be completely wiped out in a relatively short period of time. And so, access, I think access has saved alligator gar in some of the rivers. Um, and um, and so we're, I'm 
you know, so a lot of our research is to help inform managers to maybe see that, hey, you know, maybe this 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 sort of regulation sh should go statewide or or at least in some other places. Um, so maybe uh, you know, I don't want to cut you off here, John, but when you talk about that that bow fishing and everything, I think I think it looks like a lot of fun, but yeah, it's it's a one and done deal. You thump and you reel in the fish and it's dead what for the people that just maybe don't quite understand because you you do have your your background and education in in understanding how an ecosystem really works in depth what happens when you remove that predatory species from that water body and i know that with a short quick answer but what you're looking at directly in your research what is the the potential what could happen if we if you didn't have that species in that in those waterways well i mean as again as they they're apex predators you know they're they're top down control um you know essentially you know a, a lot of other species that um might compete more with say fish that people are more interested in catching like catfish so if you had you know a proliferation of buffalo and and drum you know drum and some of these these species that could interfere with the you know the uh the populations of, of say you know more, those more desirable species um but, but but more directly you know you're you're potentially losing you know um, a fish that is um you know in, in if you talk about an individual really large fish it's almost certainly a female and it's old and it has the good genes and it has the capability of reproducing, you know, producing a lot of eggs. Mm -hmm. And, and so you take that female out of the, the, the gene pool and, you know, you're, you're, so it's kind of a double whammy in that, yeah, this was a big one, had good genes and you've lost all those eggs. Um, and it's going to take a long time for a fish to get that big to replace it if, if, if they do, you know, um, so, so there's, there's, there's that component, uh, uh, as well. And then, you know, eventually, you know, alligator gar were large, have been largely extirpated from a lot of their native range, you know, so the, the, the remaining really robust populations are primarily in Texas and Louisiana, um, and they've tried to even reintroduce them in some places as far north as as, as Illinois, because that's they were in in wow. that area all through the Mississippi drainage, and um, so you know, um, so so yeah, I mean, you you know, um, so there's multiple levels of, of of things going on there, and you know, if someone says, well, I don't, I just don't value that fish, well, then you know there's a lot of us who do, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I, I think finding some sort of balance, um, between those who want to, you know, do that sort of thing. And those who want to conserve, um, is I think kind of where, you know, where we need to be. I'm sure there's some sort of a sweet spot and, you know, this is probably going to really upset the carp anglers, but they're both, they're, they're, they're non-native invasive exotic species like common carp mm -hmm. um, that are, are actually, you know, um, in some places, real, a real problem, a real nuisance. Um, 
you know, they're, they, they can uh, create tremendous amounts of turbidity in the water yeah. and uproot vegetation yeah. and, and, and some other things. And, you know, and then you, you start thinking farther north of some of the other like Asian carp, you know, the silver carp yeah. head and I those, imagine that. I mean, like, I mean, sh I would, I would love to go bow fishing for those. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it actually would be a beneficial thing. So, so there's invasive exotics that I think, um really i think are would be great targets for bow fishermen absolutely but, yeah, but but the native fish i think we need at a minimum regulations that limit how many you can kill mm -hmm. and what size and people need to be able to identify what they're shooting yeah you you, you can't just shoot any duck right i mean you got to know what yeah. you're shooting at yeah and that's a lot farther away typically than the fish. Uh, people argue, well, I couldn't tell what it was. Well, you know, you need to learn. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. um, that's my opinion on it. So I'm not anti-bow fishing altogether, but I think there needs to be some regulations, you know, and, um, and, and uh, Minnesota recently is starting to look at putting some regulations on the number of long-nose or other gar that can be killed there was a recent, some, you may have seen some of it on social media where there was some guys who killed over a thousand um, long nose gar Jeez. in one day. And oh these were God. almost certainly fish that were probably in spawning areas. So they must've just been just, and they filled the entire, they had a huge boat and they filled the entire hole. Were, were they and, taking them for food? No. And then they took them and they filmed it and they filmed them counting dumping them into the lake and they counted Why? they counted over a thousand because they thought it was for the gram you know it's for they did it for the gram well that, that's what i don't get okay so yeah i i catch and keep fish well, john catches and keeps fish i'm sure that you know you you've done plenty yeah, of it in I your life i love to eat fish why why what in the hell possesses somebody to go kill that many damn fish and then throw them away i just I, I just don't it just sickens me i i don't understand it what a waste of life yeah yeah i agree and i think that's you know and, and it's sort of i think a cultural view that like hey that they're trash and they're eating you know um game fish which is totally untrue i mean yeah. again yeah. like i told you long nose are primarily eating yeah they may compete a little bit with um some some fish in terms of you know, eating shad, you know, but, yeah. but they're not actually eating like largemouth and smallmouth bass or walleyes or very, yeah. very rarely are they eating those. Um, so this, this concept that gar are, you know, are, are interfering. I mean, generally they're, they're, they're completely benign and, and they're, you know, they're important parts of the ecosystem. And they've been, like I said, they've been around for a long time and it is just like a total waste. And, while they are difficult to clean, gar are actually pretty good to eat. I imagine. Uh, yeah, they have a really white, firm flesh. As long you know, you don't as long as you don't kill big ones. The smaller ones, yeah, their mercury levels are are are, are acceptable, and and it's a firm. Yeah, it's it's not trivial to clean it. You got to learn. You know, a lot of times people are using like tin snips and some other things to get big deal. But, but 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 yeah, they absolutely are edible. It's just a it's just a you know perception. Um, so so I, I would guys who you know I'd like to see people. You know, there's also wanton waste laws out there. You know, mm -hmm. they like 
And, and sometimes I say, well, it doesn't necessarily apply to, to non-game fish, but I don't think that's right. You know, um, it, at least you've got to be using them for bait or something along those lines. And to just completely, you know, discard them like that is, is uh, hopefully something that will, that will change. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. You know, you, you're talking about, uh, I'm not going to mention the rivers again, but uh, we'll say river A and B with the harder uh, entries, right? The, there, there's no like real, it's not really accessible unless you really want to fish there. Um, I believe that pressure, like you were saying earlier, I strongly believe pressure like that would completely wipe out that species of fish from those rivers. Uh, that, that was an issue with the Guadalupe bass. I mean, the, look at, look at the, the, the guad, right? Like you, uh, you've recently caught some and I've only ever caught one, but they're, they're a very threatened species and I would be incredibly sad if we had more fish become like that. We, yeah. we have to have something put in place here soon, at least in Texas, like statewide or we're going to lose these fish. They're just going to be gone. I, I know they, they spawn pretty frequently and um, we got a lot of people. It's a big state, you know, at some point where you're going to overfish it, you're going to overkill. And then you're not going to have, you're not going to have these fish anymore. Maybe they're not quote game or sport fish, but you're going to lose them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, yeah, this, this whole concept of game versus non-game fish, I, I think we just need to, you know, think about this. And, and I think all species probably need to be managed in some way um, and with some degree of limits and, and seasons and so forth. Um, and, but that's, you know, I, and I think I think slowly that may be coming, but I'm just worried that it may be coming too slow. So, so well, uh, I'm looking at the timer here. Yeah. <laughs> You've given us a ton of awesome information, Ryan, and it's just absolutely awesome to talk to you because it's it's so nice to meet somebody that is is passionate about. Uh, any specific species as you are but also the variety of species the places you've been the places you fish it's super cool but also the fact that you're willing to to sit down and and talk to everybody about how they could get into a really awesome predatory cnr fishery for a predator a lot of people are like well i don't know we've known about it with musky for a long time and pike but the the gar species you know, it, it, you see a lot of stuff like, oh, I'm going to go bow fish for the gar. I'm going to do this. So, uh, you know, you saying, hey, I'm going to go pursue them on a fly or conventional tackle. And by the way, instead of killing it, I'm going to pop the hook out of its mouth or, you know, do the response, whatever I need to do, you know, in, in regards to the responsibility part of that. You've, you've figured that out and you laid out a really great framework today for that, you know, like how, how to responsibly angle and, and you also gave very uh, uh, in-depth insight, you know, ecology of the fish is super cool. So um, if people want to get a hold of you uh, and talk to you more about gar fishing, because I mean, we could probably go on a long time, but if they want to get in touch with you, is there a good way for them to get in touch with you? 
Well, I mean, on the Instagram, I've had several folks, you know, um, message me, you know, people. Give me like five seconds. People have, you know, commented on some of my posts, but, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to answer questions through if people want to message me on Instagram, you know, um, and, uh, you know, give me a follow and I'll follow back and we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk Gar and, uh, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've really just started, you know, probably six or eight weeks ago in earnest, you know, on Instagram and I've been kind of overwhelmed by how awesome the, the community is of people just like meeting you guys and you know it's like most i mean i had been on facebook for a long time and mm-hmm. i was just like i'm done with this that's like politics and people talking about stuff that you know whatever and i dumped that in and i was on twitter been i'm still on twitter you know but it's mostly work it's mostly academic colleagues and it's all a lot of it's like boy you know, it's pretty heavy. And, yeah. you know, and so, so that we have a place where I can like, just actually be me, not the Brian, Dr. King, the professor has to be a certain way, like to be like, Hey, I can just be a part of this fishing community and post pictures of fish and talk about comment on other people and have already met new people. And it, you know, in just such a short period of time, I'm like, man, I, I really missed out. I should have been on this a long time ago. So um, I'm looking forward to, you know, um, meeting more people on Instagram. So that's, that's a, uh, so anyways, but so really thanks to you guys for in, inviting me to, to talk here. I mean, there, I know there are other guys who are know a ton of about Gar and, and probably know a lot more than I do. Um, and, and so I hope, you know, but I was glad that you guys gave me a chance to, to kind of say, tell what I know. So. Dude, honestly, thanks so much. Like your, your influence has kept me on the water, kept me on the hunt and just thank you so much for coming on today, dude. It's, it's been a blast and I've learned a lot and just, just thanks, man. (laughs) Hey, you bet guys. No, absolutely. So, uh, Thanks again. And I guess um, we'll uh, hopefully get the fish together sometime. How about that? Would that be all right? Oh, yeah. If I, if I can make it down there to Texas with you guys, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds good, Brian. You need to come down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you uh, also. Uh, thank you for your, your experience and, and everything that you've added in today. It's uh, really cool and uh, really happy to have you a part of our little niche community there on Instagram with uh, all of our fishing folks and uh, hiking folks and all that kind of stuff. We're all over the place. It's super eclectic, but it's, it's so much fun, <laughs> you know, so it's a lot of fun for us to, to get together. But um, so with all of that, uh, I guess uh, until next time, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us via Instagram at Working Class Fishing. You can also email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. Check us out over on YouTube under Working Class Fishing. And you can also find us on any of the major podcast platforms. So until next time, get out there, get fishing, and I hope everybody has a great day. See ya. <laughs>